Hi there, it's Dr. Paul Donovan here, and this podcast is titled Power and Psychological Safety. So I know for many of you, the word psychological safety will not be new. And there is a very rich history behind those terms, which I'm going to talk about in just a minute. But just before I do, I want to share with you a little incident that happened to me not so long ago when I was asked to come in and coach a chief financial officer because he had what appeared to be a distinctly low level of engagement in his team. Now, um, the CEO had asked me to come in and work with him because the other members of that executive team seemed to have relatively good engagement actually within their teams, but the CFO didn't. So I came in and um, started working with him and he told me that he, he said his meetings were very relatively flat which actually was problematic because he was starting to get concerned and there wasn't what he thought was a reasonable level of urgency or even a kind of an open level of contribution within his meeting with his direct reports. So I had a chance to come in and uh, work with his uh, direct reports. And I noticed at one moment in this group that the CFO was starting to then talk and listen and have a dialogue with some of the members of his team while I was in the room. And that's when I saw something kind of interesting because the CFO took on, a ver- took on a particular facial expression. His brow was very furrowed. So, and then he would tend to, when the group was talking to him, drop his head a little bit, put his head in his hands, and his brow was very furrowed. He looked very concerned, actually. And, uh, and then when people were asking him direct questions, there'd be a kind of a longer pause And, well, that's when the group started, I noticed, having sideways glances at each other. And in all of that, I realized when we debriefed the meeting that they, the team that is, were interpreting their direct manager, the CFO, in a particular way that actually surprised the CFO. You see, he did look worried, concerned, um, even somewhat irritated when uh, questions were said directly to him. When we debriefed, of course, what we discovered that actually that was not how he was feeling. He wasn't feeling that way at all. This was a natural, habitual posture he took on when he started to become thoughtful. Unfortunately, the rest of the team started to become rather concerned and they actually didn't feel safe in meetings with him because of this habitual kind of posture. You know, Nancy Klein in her books that reminded me talked about this notion for managers of knowing your face, (laughs) knowing your face. And this man was well-intentioned but didn't know his face. And others were interpreting in a way that I thought was relatively predictable, but he was unaware that that was going on. So they were unsafe. And, you know, that had led to distinctly low levels of engagement. But, you know, he's not the only manager doing this sort of thing. In a paper published in the Harvard Business Review, just halfway through 2019, has the greatest title, said, Managers, You're More Intimidating Than You Think. And in a survey by the authors, they surveyed around 4,000 people and discovered that two-thirds managers of the managers who were surveyed said that they were never or rarely scary to anybody junior to them. Two-thirds. And not only that, they were really insistent that only um, 75% that said that 
um, their peers were hardly ever or rarely scared of them, and 80% said the same was true for their boss. They were even more confident with peers. Actually, in fact, the research is such that this is just not true. Most people find their bosses rather more intimidating than bosses think they are. Much more intimidating. And so there's a wealth of research now talking about why bosses have this experience because they're buoyed and often upbeat, not all bosses, but many are, by the experience of being a manager, and then underestimate the kind of level in which they are intimidating, and then as a result, misread the level of psychological safety that's in their teams. So where did this term come from, uh, psychological safety? Well, it was first termed actually by Amy Edmondson. Now, I've known of her for some time because she's written some really great books, but it was in the late 90s she, she came up with this term of psychological safety. But really, it was only a couple of years ago, in fact, I think it was in 2017, um, that a particular Google piece of research came out that really caught the imagination of many of us. Uh, And you may have heard about it. See, Google studied uh, 180 of their teams to find out which ones are going to be most effective. So it was such a great study. I love it the way Google did this. Um, But when they start to look at what actually determined whether teams were successful, they cut all these teams. They got a whole lot of successful and effective and ineffective teams all together and cut it through for length of tenure, psychological profiles, you know, the extroverts, introverts, um, all sorts of other kinds of um, levels around goals, uh, around relationships to the organization. Oh, gosh, they cut through all sorts of particular ways of looking at teams. What predicted effective teams? Sure enough, this project, which, by the way, was called Project Aristotle, discovered that the number one thing that was predicting of effective teams was psychological safety. So suddenly, Amy's work was made into headlines. In fact, Google study did get mainstream coverage. Psychological safety. Who would have thought? In fact, it was surprising to many of us because Google, you imagine, was full of people who were very confident, handpicked to be the smartest, the brightest, the most verbally fluent, all of that kind of thing. Google was renowned for this kind of handpicking of people. But sure enough, in fact, they were not necessarily psychologically safe within their teams. And those teams that had higher levels of psychological safety did much better. Now, it wasn't the only factor. There was a total of five. But psychological safety was number one. Now, add to that the most wonderful pieces of work that have been coming out of the last few years about the fact that work is no longer what we call complicated. It's complex. So no longer can you find best benchmarked approaches to deal with the most difficult of organizational issues, because that's the telltale signs of a complicated problem. A complex problem is a problem that, and problems, are are problems where you can't actually know really what's causing them. Cause and effect is actually removed in time and space. So we have to experiment and innovate 
And um, the most, the, one of the best books I know of in this space is called Simple Habits for Complex Times by Berger and Johnston. And I recommend it. It's a ripper. It's a great book. And one of the best things I say is required for organizations to manage complexity well is there must be allowed to have divergent views. There must be very different voices being heard in relation to any particular complex issue. It's essential if organizations are to manage complexity, indeed to innovate in response to this complexity, if there can be really complex, if there can be very divergent views. Once again, psychological safety. Organizations that do not create psychological safety are far less likely to manage complex challenges that sit before them. Why? Because it really, you really do need to feel safe to say something, that to give bad news, to share criticism of something or the way that's happening, to share an idea that you think might not be right, to talk about a mistake you made. All of these things require psychological safety. To make an idea that you're not even sure is right, they all require psychological safety and they're all required for organizations to manage complexity because there is no rule but that can be followed anymore. Groups have to generate and devise experiments to look to see whether they can nudge the various systems that they're trying to shift and move um, so that great responses can be can be defined in complex facing complex problems. So okay, now let's get to power. Because where does psychological um, safety come adrift? Where does it really not work? Really when managers are using their power inappropriately and poorly. That's actually the clincher now. It's managers who are not using their power consciously. And in response to that, psychological safety gets eroded. And let's remember, two-thirds of managers think that their juniors have absolutely no problem talking to them. And we know that that's plainly not the case. So let's go right now to what managers can do to use their power well and as a consequence, cultivate and develop better psychological safety. It's essential now that we can do this. First of all, I want to say this. Most managers, let's go to the real point of where things happen, a meeting. Most managers talk too much. Most managers are spending way too much time in their teams telling and way too little time asking. So when they consider that they've got a team meeting coming together, mostly what they're thinking before the meeting is what I have to tell people, what I have to update them on and tell. And then some of them might be thinking, all right, then what do they have to tell each other so they can then update. And maybe that's useful, but that's usually overdone as well. What they're not thinking of is what are some better questions I can ask my team? What are the better questions? And this is the new mindset that managers must bring to their meetings as opposed to what I need to tell them. Now, I know this sounds obvious. I know this sounds true, but when managers feel somewhat buoyed or even heavy by the responsibility they have, they tend to objectify their team members and see them as as utility, that is, people who get a lot of stuff done for them. And if you've got that mindset, you're very unlikely to be thinking what questions I can ask, what questions I can ask. 
So here's a hint. Please ask your, your team questions that are divergent. That is questions which open up possibilities. Do not race to questions on what should be done or what actions should be taken. Precede all convergent questions with divergent questions. Divergent questions which, what are some options? What are some options that we consider to help this? So please ask questions about options. Or if you want your, your group to look at the nature of a problem you're facing, ask them, what are the signs and symptoms of this problem? What tells us we've even got a problem? These are great divergent questions. And ask those questions, the kinds of those questions, before you get convergent, which is right. What do you think the problem is we're facing here? Or, okay, what are we going to do about it? So there's the first thing. Talk less Ask more questions and you will begin to build psychological safety. Okay, I'm going, to, I'm going to touch on a few others now that I think you might find very interesting. And um, the first one is, uh, the next one is this. I'm going to ask you to get, make sure you don't get too chummy. Don't Make sure you don't get too casual with your teams. Now, I know this sounds odd and most people, when I first say this, go, What? But I want to create psychological safety. Truthfully, as a manager, when you really relax and lose awareness that you are still the manager, you'll start to have jokes. You'll start to be drawn to people you just feel like casually you more like and less drawn to, to others. You'll actually may forget that some of your humor, for instance, may be very funny for some and actually not so funny for others. So please remember the lens of power upon you brings a new filter through which you must see yourself, must see your humor especially. Be very careful about the humor you bring to your teams because some, like some, may not respond. I can't tell you over the years how many managers um, I have. I'm thinking one right now. Um, she was a, a really very brilliant, very clever managing director. Um, sometimes her humor was a little bit edgy. And so um, now it made a lot of us laugh, but it's also true that it made some people not so comfortable and uh, that eroded psychological safety. And so it was a problem. So remember, be conscious and aware, especially of your humor. So when you're relaxed, doesn't mean everybody else is. Okay, next thing. As a, if you want to build psychological safety, get focused on helping people build capability in their work. Don't just get too task focused. If all you're thinking about is the stuff you've got to get done and then making sure that everybody else just gets that stuff done, you may forget that as the manager, one of your primary obligations is to continue to design and organize work that is developmentally helpful for your team members. And the other, the other obligation you have is to frequently give feedback to your team members on how they're going. And when you do that, make sure it's at least a ratio of three positive to one critical. Of course, I know you'll need to give critical feedback sometimes, but if all you're giving is critical feedback, oops, psychological safety is going to be eroded. People are then just walking on eggshells around you and they see their manager coming toward them and they brace themselves because here's another thing that I've got wrong. Well, as a manager, of course, you do need to be able to tell people when they've got things wrong. But if your ratio is not at least three to one positive to negative, 
then they're actually probably not taking even your critical feedback on board. They're already bracing themselves for what they think is coming next. So their level of openness is really low, really low. So please don't forget that if you're the manager, you must be giving feedback. Keep it at least a three to one. In fact, some of the research says five to one. And remember to stay in uh, to stay focused on how your team can grow and develop. If you become too task focused, you'll forget that. And then you start to become just overly transactional in interactions. And then people start to feel more unsafe. So, okay, finally, last thing I want to let you know is if you're, uh, if you're a conflict avoider, then actually you'll be starting to erode psychological safety in your teams. Most of us are either conflict avoiding or we tend to get a, we, we tend to get a little bit too abrasive with it and want to crush it, fix it, get in, get it done. Either way, we're not being conflict competent. So being conflict averse and being unwilling to raise difficult conversations or even to manage tensions within your team means that you're stepping away when your team needs you to step in. Being conflict averse is a very real problem in teams because it does make people tense and actually clicks begin to develop that information doesn't flow and where there's clicks in your room, oh boy, oh boy, not only will information not flow but problems won't get resolved. Gosh, I remember a team I wasn't I was working with not so long ago in a very large property development organization. And I'd been asked to come in and work with this particular team. And and I had in fact interviewed the team members and the manager at us. It was very happy for me to do that. And I came in and I was working with them. And what had emerged is what there was this incredible click in the team. In fact, it turned out that half the team were were actually didn't like the other half of the team. But this had never been talked about. The manager had known this had been going on for at least nine months and had got me in because uh, he knew that his engagement levels in the team were low. His direct reports um, actually had engagement levels and that was rippling down into their direct reports. What the problem was, there was an enormous click. And And these two halves of the teams didn't really like each other. So I had interviewed the team and this is what I did. It was a little bit crazy, but I said, I've interviewed you and uh, now I'm going to let you know what the outcomes of my interview was. And I did something that maybe some of you are listening with think maybe was perhaps a bit unfair, but I said, here is what's happening in this team. And I I wrote the names of half the group on one side of a flip chart and half the names on the other. And I said, there are two very good intact highly functioning teams within this team. But between these two teams, there is a certain apprehension and uncertainty. But within these two halves, it's pretty fantastic. But while, this, while these two small, very effective teams are operating alongside each other and not communicating well between them, your overall effectiveness is really dropped very low because there's no doubt that these two teams must begin to work uh, across and you have confirmed that with me in your interviews. Well, I remember when I said that there was this kind of start, there was this stunned silence until one person said, 
Well, I just want to let you know that it's a relief that someone has said this because that's exactly what's going on here and it's time we, we made a change to this. And they did. They turned into one of the most fantastic functional teams. But in actual fact, the manager had sat on this click for nine months and there'd been a lot of tension and heartbreak in the process. It doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way. That manager was just conflict averse. He really hated that idea. So I relate to that. I do understand the tensions of conflict and I feel a little the way that I feel a little that way myself sometimes. So let's just pause. We're talking about power and psychological safety. And as a manager, how you use your power has everything to do with how much psychological safety be within your teams. First of all, don't talk too much and think more about the questions you want to ask than what you need to tell your teams when you come together. Second, be very careful about doing, getting too relaxed and too chummy because when you get really relaxed, it's possible some of your natural humor or the way you talk could be interpreted differently by some. When you're the manager, even the slightest remark that might be exclusive of some is going to be amplified in its effect. Thirdly, don't get too task-focused. Remember, if you want psychological safety, you must continue to give feedback to your team and continue to focus on how people develop in their roles. If you don't do that, then people start to get jaded in their work. They start to disengage. They start to disengage and begin, and the psychological safety within that team erodes. Finally, let's not be conflict-averse. If you've got clicks, you must step in and work with it. But if you're walking into rooms and barking orders at people who you think are in conflict with the one, I don't think that's going to help either. Learn skills to listen, actively listen, and manage conflict within your team and raise difficult topics. Build interpersonal skills to enable you to do that. And if you've got real conflict, call someone to help you with the team. All right. So here, that's the end of our quick little journey on power and psychological safety. This is going to get more air. I know there's going to be more talk about psychological safety, even after Google's fantastic project Aristotle. It's going to continue to get focused. And for the big reason that, boy, oh boy, if we're going to manage complex issues in organizations, people have to feel safe to talk. Thanks for listening. I hope you found it really helpful. And um, I look forward to sharing with you again next time. Bye.